Hey, chaps. Praise God. We are alive. We are alive and alive. But I had a great, uh, I had a great interaction on on Twitter with um, my esteemed Chinese colleague, who will be the in his his ambition is to be the future Chinese governor of America. Um, I enjoy the I enjoy the ambition. Uh, but we were just chatting about how you know you get these boomer takes who are uh, I think it was uh, I don't know who who the boomer was, but he was basically saying like. America's Chinese are beating China's Chinese, you know, and he had that photo of the four uh, American Chinese kids who had won the world math uh, Olympiad or whatever uh, for the first time from China, you know, against China. And it was like, our Chinese are going to beat their Chinese. And, and then uh, Manju, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he goes and says, like, no, that's not how it works, buddy. <laughs> Chinese are Chinese. We love China even if we're, uh, you know, diasporic. And he's like, you don't understand tribe. And it's like, you know, this is the, the huge issue that the West uh, has completely uh, been memed and demoralized and punished out of in-group preference, out of tribal thinking. Whereas every other group is gloriously tribal in their identity, their thinking, their, um, their actions, you know? So I really wanted to, to hit on this, this thing of, I basically, my, my, my tweet to, to what, uh, that boomer take was, you know, is that people who don't understand that America was not founded on an idea, but it was founded on a distinct people are going to have a hard time as these tribal resource wars escalate, you know, cause we are already in tribal resource wars. The last 6,000 years of history has been wars between tribes over resources. Like that's biblical history. That's, that's recorded history is tribes <laughs> making war with each other over resources, you know? And so here we are, in this crazy post-liberal clown world. And it's like, oh, there's no tribes. There's no wars. There's no lack or scarcity of resources. Like, we're in clown world. Diversity is our strength. Uh, you know, resources are, are everywhere. UBI, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, and so, so it's just like, okay, okay, there's some craziness going down here. We need to actually start talking about this from a perspective of tribal war resources. So I really wanted to, to hit this thing of, of we need to, you know, history makes so much sense when we see every war as a, as a war between tribes over resources. No, World War II was over freaking lampshades and, and Nazis. And it's like, no. The Nazis were a tribe, the lampshades were a tribe, and the 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 central banking was the the resource. Uh, the the power of central banking and the power of media were the two resources they were fighting over. You know, oh, the Second World War was over aggression over Poland, and it's like, no, <laughs> the communists were a tribe, the Nazis were a tribe, Poland was a resource, <laughs> you know? 
Poland never went back to the Polish. It went to the Russians, you know, went to the, the communists. It's like, come on, chaps. These are these are our tribal wars over resources. And so, you know, you look at the, the Pacific theater, right? Japan was building an empire to secure access and distribution of resources, territory resources, right? And, oh, you know, the fight against, you know, America lulled Japan. It's like, no, no, no. There were some very serious resource rights that were going on there. And, and, you know, Japan very unwisely, very foolishly thought that that war would allow them access of the resources they were looking for. And that's a, a huge oversimplification. But we've got to see this as tribal wars over resources, you know. Um, you look at you look at you know the Bible, the biblical stories, Abraham and Lot, right? Essentially, two tribes because Abraham was the patriarch of this tribe, Lot the patriarch of this tribe. It's like, hey, let our men no longer quarrel. Let's have no more tribal quarrels over limited resources, grazing land, right? Water rights. You go one way, I'll go the other way. So that was a that was a war between tribes over resources that was solved through politics, through policy rather than bloodshed. So I really want to go into this this whole thing here. What is war? A lot of people think war is, you know, a bunch of dudes storming the beaches with rifles and shooting the Germans because they're evil. War is far more, you know, throughout throughout history is far more political, far more about in-group preference. When we come to this thing of of politics, you know, this is this is one of the reasons I like this little aside of of repealing the Nineteenth Amendment. You know, oh Scott, you bloody bigot! Of course, women can vote. It's like, do you expect women to pick up a rifle and go and enforce their policy? No. So voting is the preemptive picking up of a rifle to go and enforce the policy voted for. You know. If you if you vote for secession, for example, over a re, you know over a resource, uh, you better be damn sure that you're now going to pick up a rifle to defend your policy. And if you're not willing to, then the policy falls, and the other side enforces their policy. Rob, oversimplification is our thing. Grung, ba- grung brain gang, woo woo. ADIQ history boys, uh, tune in, please. You know, and that's it. You know, I think, I think as well, we try so much is obfuscated. You know, they, they muddy the waters to make them seem deep. And it's like, no, no, we're just gonna, we're just gonna have some fun out here and and make wild generalizations and oversimplifications. So, (coughs) excuse me, when we see uh, politics, when we see um, law is, is a law is, is the, road towards war. What we mean by this is we make a law, uh, often over resources, right? The first law is property rights. You know, this man owns this resource. Here's his, you know, you now have to have a bureaucracy that issues a legal document, a property uh, title deed. This man owns this property. Now, when someone else, uh, 
either uh, trespasses on my property, damages my property, whatever. I go to the judge. Legal, I want legal recourse to this thing. And and the judge issues a thing of like, please pay him back his damages, please leave his property, etc. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't comply, the policeman who bears the sword comes in and and basically wars against this immoral man uh, to the point of shooting him or or capturing him and enslaving him. That's war, right? And if he's if he if he capitulates, pays the money, or you know whatever, like gets off the property, it's like peace has been restored through war or through threat of war, right? And this is where all the libertarians will chime in and be like, oh, that's immoral. And it's like, no, 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 it's ordained by God. The sword is ordained by God, right? War is ordained by God. We just need to make sure that we as righteous men are the ones winning the wars, are the ones bearing the sword on wicked men. Marcel, welcome, brother. The Boer War was over the gold and diamond resources of the Transvaal. Exactly, two tribes. The Boer tribe and the, the English, the British, uh, Globo Homo tribe. Uh, well, it was more the corporations, the British Global Homo corporations who had captured the British army and the British infrastructural system, uh, you know, very similar to today's American empire. You know, one small little corporate tribe uh, has captured the machinery of the state to now go and aggress against, you know, the Boers. Like, oh, you've got gold? We'll take that. And so the Boers not not rolling over. They're like, sweet, we'll fight you. We'll fight you for this. You look at, at many, uh, you know, colonial style fights of, of guys being like, we're not going to roll over for our resources. We're going to fight you. Ben Mu, welcome, brother. And, and you even look at it that way as well. You know, this is something I, I wanted to hit on as well. It's a good point there, Marcel, with the Boers. Tribeless people always end up dispossessed of their resources. So this is the libertarians, right? Libertarians are tribeless. This is the neocons, the conservative boomer generation they're tribeless and so they've all been dispossessed of the resources and you're like oh but scott the boers still lost they lost their resources it's like yeah but they fought yes but they had a chance whereas libertarians just give it up conservatives just give it up because oh we don't have a tribe we're alone you know and so your currency gets stolen from you your tax money gets stolen from you your institutions get stolen from you your woman women are a resource they get stolen from you your property, your land, through taxes and, and inflation and crazy uh, uh, death duties and stuff like that gets stolen from you. Um, so tribeless people always end up dispossessed. But even small tribes can negotiate their survival by either being wise, you know, so making, making wise plays, political plays, things like that. You know, you look at like alliances, marriages. Um, you look at migrations, you know, especially you look, you look with the Zulus when they started like just tearing it up, coming down the east of, of South Africa. A lot of tribes either be like, sweet, we'll join you. We'll happily join you, join forces and, and ensure the survival of their tribe into an adjacent mega tribe. Or they migrated. They left and, and, and went to try and find new land. Or they created interesting alliances with either the British or the Afrikaners to ensure their, their ability to have strength and, and fight back. You know, so there's many such cases of small tribes being able to survive huge mega conflicts. 
with bigger tribes, you know, crazier tribes. You even look at the Afrikaner. The Afrikaner was subjugated uh, in 1900, and they never, they never self-defeated. They never gave up and became English. They they kept their tribe. They kept their in-group preference. They kept uh, their identity. And they're like, right, chaps. So this is where the wisdom side of, of a tribe comes in. They're like, right, chaps, we've lost militarily. We've lost politically. Here's what we do. We build economically. We build family. We, we bodhinasi, you know. You, you make children. You, you raise them in the way that they should go. You, you create a brotherhood, a secret society that, that's going to start working into economics, working into ministry, working into media, working into, into government. And in 30 years, they won the third. There were two hot Boer Wars. First Boer War, second Boer War. The British cleaned up in those. The third Boer War was won by the Afrikaners in 1948 by ballot and not by rifle. They won the third Boer They won the long game, right? And then for 40 years, they had ascendancy again, not just over their little empire, that they had, their little nation, but now over the whole empire that the British, they, they beat the British at their own game. And then, unfortunately, the, the, the communists, then, you know, the, it was now a, a, a pan-Africanist Boer War. Uh, and, and they beat the Boers at, at this long game. You know, now they're in power over this whole empire. And Canadian, welcome, brother. <clears throat> so, so we get to this thing where, you know, even small tribes can negotiate their survival. If they don't, if they don't, uh, if they don't give up and if they have a plan. And so I really wanted to, to get into this thing for us here. What are, what is tribalism? Tribalism is in-group preference. I prefer my people. I like my people. I love my people. God loves my people. So I love my people. I love my people, right? I love my family. I love my neighbors. I love my people, my tribe. The people who look like me, speak like me, act like me. I love my people. All right. And I have a plan for the peace and prosperity of my progeny. Right. So every sane, not a clown, <laughs> not a liberal, every sane person wants their children to have more peace and more prosperity than they had. And I want my grandchildren to have more peace and more prosperity than I have. And all the problems I face in my life, I don't want my children having those problems. All the enemies that I have in my life, I don't want my children having those problems. That's in-group preference. So now I work towards that mission, towards that goal. That's in-group preference. And then a third thing is punishing and subjugating out-group behavior. So for instance, if you, let's just take this to a family level. My family lives here. That family lives there, right? So in-group preference, on clan, clan level, right? The, what are those two clans that always fight each other? In West Virginia, the, the, anyway, whatever they are. I want to control the, I want control of the resources and I want to control how other clans get access to these resources. I want to be the big dog of these resources. And so I protect them for my kids. I protect them for my cousins. I protect them for my nephews and make sure that there's inheritance for, for my guys. And when I see another family coming in to try and take those resources away, it's like, okay, 
I'm now either going to punish them or I'm going to subject them so that they have to pay me honor, pay me tax, pay me access rights, uh, pay me rent. That's just a very simple scale. But now apply this on a huge tribal political meta level. This is what happens. Thank you, Rob. The Hatfields and McCoys. You know, and so what is the what is the in-group preference acted out? You know, we all understand this. You know, my wife, I have in-group preference towards my wife that I do not give any other woman. That would be, you know, like my wife has complete access to my bank account, my house, my property, <clears throat> my time, my presence, my energy. If I were to go and give that to any other old any other woman, it's like you'd be crazy. You'd be insane. You know, if some random number called me up that I didn't even know, it just said like unknown number. I'm hello. And it's like, hi, this is Susie. Please. Can you pay for my, this, this, and that. And it's like, you're crazy. Never call me again. But on a societal level, on a tribal level, we get all these people who aren't our family, who aren't our wife, who aren't our uh, people. They come in to to our resources, they come into our spaces, our property, and they're like, give me, you owe me, you pay for my things. And we're like, okay, okay, I'll pay for you. You can have the inheritance of my actual children. You can have what's actually just for my wife. You can have it too. And it's like, how cuck, you know, absolute libertarian boomer energy, slave energy, you know, to have outsiders come into your house and be like, dude, there's not enough food in your fridge and you owe me money. It's like, who the heck are you? I'm going to shoot you. All right. So that's tribalism, you know, and from that place, we can then be, we can then be respectful of other tribes, you know? So this family across the street from me, you know, we're respectful to each other because he's not trying to steal my resources. I'm not trying to steal his resources. He knows where my property lines are. I know where his property lines are. And now we can mutually respect each other. And it's like, hey, man, out of out of charity, out of mutual benefit, we can be good neighbors. Same with tribes, right? On a huge meta scale of like, okay, you guys are our neighbors on this border. You guys are neighbors on this border. You know, it's that whole thing of like, walk, walk gently, walk softly, kindly, but carry a big stick. You know, so it's like, hey, Mexico, love having you on our border. Uh, you do you, we'll do us, and we'll get along famously. You send us some vegetables, we'll send you uh, some vehicles, you know, whatever the, you know, we're happy to trade, we're happy to to do business, we're happy to uh, all that stuff. But the moment you start crapping on my lawn, the big stick is coming down. And that's what people don't understand about reciprocity, about in-group preference. You know, they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's nothing we can control. It's the, it's the, it's the drug cartels. It's like, no you're not a failed state. You have a military, you have power to operate stuff. So if you don't, we will. And we have a military, we have a power to operate stuff. If you don't, we will. And if you can't control the land that these cartels are using, we're going to take over that land. You know, it's like, if you can't, if you can't control uh, the property rights, we will control them until you can get your crap together and then buy it back from us or pay us back from what we've, you know, uh, the money we've spent, like that's the reciprocity that we start thinking of tribalism in group preference. righty, And then war, you know, we need to go back to this thing with war of politics, you know, so politics is a form of war. Now, unfortunately, when it comes to democracy, democracy changes how the war is played. Democracy 
dem demo demo demographics demographics is democracy right so if everybody gets a vote the tribes are still in play you know so for instance if you had a town council meeting and there's 10 hatfields and there's nine mccoys the hatfields are going to win the vote so what do the mccoys do they're like hey chaps the next the next uh council meetings come up we need 11 mccoys or had, I don't know what I said, but we need 11 so that when we get there and they have 10, we win the vote. That's how democracy works. So it gets the two tribes or however many tribes in the case of America, there's like 11, 12, 13 actively defined tribes working politically in America. In South Africa, there's 14, 15, 16 actively defined tribes working politically. And so each tribe inherently understands demographics. And so they're like, Okay, all of our guys get a vote. We need more of our guys. How do we do that? Birth. We, we absolutely just go crazy trying to increase our guys. Um, we try and limit our oppositions. So we either kill them, abort them, get them to stop having babies, poison them, uh, uh, eject them, get them out of, of the system, uh, demoralize them, you know. Uh, the other thing is immigration. Who are going to be client tribes to us if we can get them in? You know, so we just we just import tons of guys who are going to vote our tribe or destabilize the other tribes. So that's another thing you can do to the other tribes. How do we destabilize the other tribes and get them to infight? Get them to, you know, and that's libertarianism. That's boomerism, boomer liberalism. How can we mind virus this very strong tribe and get it just to become tribeless? Have it have zero Ingrid preference and be like, okay, we surrender. We'll vote for you guys. Just please like us. It's like, yeah, yeah. Alrighty. So, so demographics and demora. So, so democracy, demographics, demoralization. Those are like three hand in hand things that that are how you do politics. Alrighty, and then institutional power. So another part of war is weaponizing institutional power. You weaponize it for your in-group, you know? So if you control an institution, let's say a bank, right? If you control a bank, you weaponize it for your in-group, right? So, okay, we control a bank. All of our guys, you know, if it's Hatfield Bank, all the Hatfields get 0% interest rates, get... Uh, you know, get uh, they don't have to apply for crazy background checks and stuff. They just get a loan because we we want our guys to do well. Anytime a McCoy comes to our bank, we hit them with an 18% interest rate. They've got to apply, jump through hoops. We keep them waiting. We frustrate them. And if they do buy something, we call. You know, it's like, oh, they're going. we hear they're going through a hard time. We can call on their loan and take their land. Like that is weaponizing an institution. BlackRock. BlackRock is an institution that is buying up property out of another in-group's, uh, it's, it's a scarce resource, right? Uh, a bank a bank is a scarce resource of currency, of, of, of capital. BlackRock is buying up a scarce resource, land, housing, right? How do you create, how do you gatekeep access to housing? Number one, you can increase divorce, right, in, in that in-group. Divorce creates two household families. And so if you have, you know, a nation of 100,000 families and the divorce rate is 50%, you now have a nation of 150,000. You need, 
So where there's only a need for 100,000 families, uh, houses, now you need 150,000 houses. Oh, beautiful. Let's build more houses because more divorce. Let's push divorce, push divorce because we're going to need more houses. Second thing, we immigrate. We bring in people who need housing. So it's like, oh, great. The workforce was 100,000 men, right? 100,000 men in this economic zone working. Well, let's bring in 50,000 more men. Replace them and 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 bring in 50,000 more men. Who cares if there's work or not? Because the main thing here is the scarce resource of housing. We're pushing the price and the demand through the roof, which is great for the corp, for the institutional powers who own land, who own development, who own housing. So BlackRock is an institutional power that is punishing our in-group, you know, the, the white Western Christian boys. Uh, and they are benefiting their in-group, you know, the moneyed, the moneyed tribe, you know, David, welcome brother. And so for us, you know, you look at this institutional power weaponized against an out-group and for which in-group, you've got to ask the question, which in-group is pushing this? The media and the, the capital are pushing the same agenda against a certain out-group for a certain in-group. All right. So the next thing is you look at the Chinese. The Chinese are pumping uh, Chinese immigrants through the American university systems, right? And then, so number one, they're in the American university systems. Number two, they then go into American institutions. You know, they, they gain positions within hierarchies in America. And, and so it's like these guys all have a high in-group preference for China that they are very, they are subverting institutional power, you know? And even to the point of, uh, you know, it's like you look at how uh, so that's how they're playing the American game. Uh, Chinese students coming in and, and just building up institutional power all over America. Um, and then in South Africa, how the Chinese are, are building, uh, are, are doing warfare over resources. They're extending credit to the South African government, which is bankrupt as crap. And well, not just bankrupt, but but the, all the tax base, all the money they use, it's like. It's giving a kid a credit card and being like, you go wild, little guy. Go get that Mercedes and sweet crack cocaine, you little, you little rascal. And so off they go, you know, these, these 1,000, maybe 10,000 top ANC government uh, cadres are living the high life on, on South African institutional debt. Who's carrying that debt? China. China are like, yep, we'll just give you sweet money in return. Sign this. Oh, you sign this dotted line, black man. You sign. You sign over here. We give you one billion rand. You give us Durban Harbor. You give us mineral right. You know. And so all of a sudden, China has the mineral rights to all the diamonds, all the gold. That's it. So, so we had the Boer War, right? The 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 British dispossessed the Boers of the mineral rights. The Boers then redispossessed the British of the mineral rights. The the Pan African, the black nationalists, then dispossess the Boers of the mineral rights. And now the Chinese <laughs> are dispossessing the, the black nationalists out of the mineral rights. So it's like, who's really winning the Boer War? The Chinese, the Chinese. So, you know, it's just like, once you see it, once you see everything as a tribal war over resources, you, you start seeing things clearly for what they are. So the Chinese are just throwing money at these African children who are just living the credit card high life in return for infrastructure, harbors, rail networks, 
road networks, river uh, networks, uh, land rights, mineral rights. Um, they're just they're just phenomenal. You know, they're like they found a crack whore. These African leaders. And it's like, oh, we can get what we want from you by just giving you crack. You'll give us everything. And not only will you give us everything, you'll steal from other people to give us everything. And it's like, works for us. Here's some crack. So it's brilliant. So that's what's happening. How do we survive belligerent states? You know? So for instance, when things go to hot war, you know, when there's a hot war, like if you know, I'm trying to think of the last resource war with it. I mean, even you look at the um, what's happening in the Middle East with Syria and and the the Kurds and uh, you know all of that kind of stuff. And you look at um, you know some of the posturing on the India-China border. You look at some of the posturing w- with the Chinese and the Americans or, or the Russians and the Americans. It's like if there were to be a hot war, how would it happen? Hot wars always go for urban and infrastructural targets. So one of the biggest things is like, don't be, don't live in an urban target, in an urban center that is an easy target of hot belligerent state, nation state war. Don't live around infrastructural targets, you know? Don't live by the harbor. (laughs) Don't live um, by wherever uh, the energy, you know, don't live by the, the power plant, the energy things, you know? It's it's really funny for me. I would say, man, every like second day almost, there's two ATN war talks uh, that fly in from Cincinnati, you know, wherever the National Guard airport is. They fly in treetop level over Brookville, over the Brookville Lake Reservoir. This reservoir is huge. It's a huge reservoir of water. It controls the flooding for the whole Whitewater Valley into the Ohio River Valley. And these two ATN war dogs come in every second day doing training over this over this hard asset, a water reservoir. And it just got me thinking, you know, I'm like, man, this water point, this dam is an infrastructural target. You know, you take out this dam, it's it's the water for the region, it's the flooding for a region, you know, the whole, all the towns downstream of it, like, it's a very fascinating target. And it's like, okay, they're going to fly A-10s around this target and train for the protection of this target. It's really interesting. It's like, oh, why are there jets flying over this huge dam? It's like, it's an infrastructural target. So, you know, I wanted to, to also just go through these. What are resources? What are things that tribes are fighting um, over? Number one is land. You know, BlackRock is fighting a, a land resource war for its tribe. Uh, Bill Gates is fighting a land resource war. But now what's interesting for him is it's not just the land. It's what's under the land, water aquifers right so water is a huge infrastructural resource that is scarce and is 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 good to fight over now here's what is also going to happen right not only are people fighting to gain water water is also a, a contention point of destroying another tribe so you could poison another tribe's water if you know you're never gonna want to live there or use that you know it's and it's it's kind of like the zero sum kill others before they kill you game. But it's like, you can see that. You can see how people would uh, contaminate other people's water bodies as a punishment or a subjugation tactic. Um, Energy, you know, and we're seeing this in South Africa where there's (laughs) rolling blackouts for, you know, 10 hours a day 
because they can't keep the lights on. My opinion on this, yes, the 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 communist pan-Africanists are useless when it comes to actually maintaining civilization. They can't. They can't maintain civilization. This is proven true over the whole African continent. There, there, there is no state that is not necessarily a failed state by just by definition. And so, you know, so number one, yes, the, the infrastructure crumbles. But they have at their access, you know, all these white engineers, all these white technicians who could maintain the, the energy grid for them. They, they don't want to. Why? They know that energy, that power, is a, that, that gatekeeping access to energy is a way to get white people out. It's a way to destroy the middle class white air bubble that is still holding South Africa up. That's my, that's my take on, on why they let the energy go to crap. <clears throat> um, is, to, is to try and destroy the white middle class, which is the, the main enemy of the, the Marxist pan-Africanists. In America, the same thing, right? Texas, power issues. Uh, and it's like, okay, they, they are purposefully folding the grid. You know, they're purposefully dropping uh, the infrastructure. It's a war. It's a tribal resource war. Who are we trying to, who are we trying, same with the lockdowns. The lockdowns were a tribal resource war. What are we trying to do? We're trying to destroy the white Christian middle class, their economy, their infrastructure, their way of life. For who? For whose benefit? For which tribe's benefit? John Saxon, welcome, brother. Why do people keep voting in the ANC? Tribalism, brother. It's, it's their tribe. You know, if you, if in 1900, there was something like four to one, right? There were four blacks for every one white in South Africa. By 2000, it was like 40. No, maybe not 40, 20. I don't know, 20 to one, right? The population boom was just like the white population, (laughs) the black population, you know? And half of that is due to white missionaries and medicines and foreign aid. and, you know, the, the other half of that is due to white stupidity of not having more children. You're like, oh, I'm just going to have two kids. And it's like, no, dude, we're in a demographic war. And then they're like, oh, but Scott, that's just a zero-sum game race to the bottom. And it's like, no, South Africa would look very different if there were 20 million white people in South Africa as opposed to 4 million. You know, it's like we are a blessing to this world. White people are a blessing. You know, Christian families are a blessing. To this world, who's the only demographic group who all these um, these studies and and propaganda are aimed at? Of like, only have less children, have less children. It's like while they go and pay for Africans to be at four billion by the next fifty years, like they're literally pumping resources into Africa to to float this population. And here's my my take on this as well. You know, they're trying to float the African population so that they 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 come to Europe, they come to America. And then they, they, they sink it. They just, you know, once they've destroyed everything, they can stop the aid. And, and then boom, the African population just goes through a mass die off. Like I'm telling you right now, they cannot exist without NGOs, without outside resources and help. And so they're artificially pumping this population explosion to destroy their outgroups. You know, whoever the, 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 the globo homo tribe is that's, that's controlling this. They're using it to destroy Europe. They're using it to destroy Minnesota. And it's like once the destruction is done and, and our, our group is punished, boom, they can just fl- they can just pop the, the population bubble. 
Um, John Saxon. Okay, so the Afrikaners weakened themselves and their enemies exploited this. Yeah, you know, the Afrikaners didn't lose the military war. They lost the moral war, the propaganda war, the educational war, the in-group preference war. You know, how many, you know, us freaking English boys were liberal from, from birth. You know, the amount of individualized classical liberalist crap that we imbibed. But the Afrikaners only became liberalized in, in the last, you know, 20 years, you know, of, of their, they, they didn't gatekeep the universities. They didn't gatekeep the ministries. They didn't gatekeep the media. And so they, they became insanely liberalized and urbanized and equality and, and, uh, you know, diversity and all this stuff. It's like, they didn't lose the military war. They lost the propaganda war, the moral war, the tribal, the will to survive. Uh, Rob, <clears throat> it is wrong to assume the enemy's goal is to make civilization succeed. The enemy's mission is a race to the bottom to wreck Christendom and the West. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's it. You know, it's what is the, <clears throat> I say this about, about all the time. It's not, this is not a, this is not, you know, uh, white supremacist Saturday. The main target of clown world, of the enemy, of Satan is Christian families. Christian families, right? Christian families, whether they are black, white, Chinese, freaking pygmy, Christian families are, is the target of clown world, is the target of Satan. Right now, who are the main proponents of Christian families? It's the white West. You know, so it's not that we are superior. It's not that we are the, the chosen ones. It's like, no, we're the last group who are still functionally pushing back against global homo against the absolute destruction of the Anglosphere uh, inheritance of Christendom of Christian families, you know, and, and when you look at, at black people in Africa and black people in America, they are purposefully, they are purposefully degenerated. They are purposefully kept in a degenerate state in order to whip them up against the enemy of Christian families, whether they are black or white. You see a black guy with a healthy Christian family, his own freaking people destroy him. His own media who happens to love black people, love diversity, come and destroy him. You see a successful black institution, a successful black uh, anything, their own liberal zeitgeist comes and eats them because it's got to keep them degenerate to stir them up against Christian families. And in America, the Christian families are predominantly white. In, in South Africa, the Christian families are predominantly white, you know. And it's like, you know, anyway, anyway. All righty. Uh, John, uh, blacks need to get into the Bible. They need to stop listening to compromised black pastors and wholeheartedly cleave to the Bible. Yeah, and that's the issue with, with all of this. You know, it's my issue with the Jews. You know, guys are like, oh, Scott, are you anti-Semitic? Scott, are you a white supremacist? Like, no, no, no. I'm a Christian who believes in, uh, in nationhood for every tribe and tongue and Christ for every nation. What this means is that we don't give the Jews a pass just because, oh, the Jews, Jews are not Christian. We need to be actively preaching the gospel to them. We need to be actively calling them to repent. Blacks, likewise, on a whole, societally, are not Christian. And so we need to be, oh, but blacks are the bloody most Christian. It's like, no, no, no. They aren't following the institutional guidelines of the Bible for a healthy society. 
you know, and that's why like, man, you know, if you look at Christendom, where it's going, China is going to be the Chris, the Christian, China is going to be Christendom within the next 100 years, because there, there are active, the church is active in China at actually discipling Chinese men towards biblical living. Like I'm telling you right now, China is going to be the new Christendom. If we don't get our, our act together and our crap together and join them, they're going to recolonize the rest of the world uh, with the gospel. You know, and that's pretty offensive. But it's like, it's the reality of what's happening. You know, the Anglosphere has given up its inheritance of being the light of Christendom to the world. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. More resources. Uh, waste. Waste is a resource, right? The um, You look at recycling. China has almost a complete monopoly on waste recycling and waste usage. Uh, you look at, I think it's Denmark, who basically import all of Europe's trash and incinerate it for energy. And then you look at what's happening in America with landfills and crap and how, you know, we don't know how to, there are technologies that we are avoiding of how to healthily and sustainably harvest waste and, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Dilute the toxic effects of waste. You know, right now we're just pumping landfills full of toxic crap. Anyway, get down there. John Saxon, women are a resource. Yep, exactly, man. That's one of the things here. Population is a resource and population is a fruit, a result of women and how we, how we invest into that asset, into that resource. <clears throat> Marcel, load shedding is not a bug. It's a feature. Yeah, it's a tactic. It's a strategy. Incompetent, you know, because you get all these guys banging off these like essays to the letters to the editor of like the ANC are so incompetent. They need to change these seven policies. Like, no, no, no. Feigned incompetence is a strategy. Feigned, you know, destruction of infrastructure through incompetence is a strategy. It's a governance strategy. Because who are who are the population that uses that infrastructure? It's only the whites. Their base, their tribe are they've been living without infrastructure and they're happy to carry on living without infrastructure. You know, in the top 1,000, 10,000 cadres, they enjoy the first world life. They enjoy the Western way, but they don't care if their people get it. 